Welcome back, everybody. I hope everybody's enjoying their holiday season so far. I took a flight down to the southern hemisphere to enjoy the sunny weather, which is really summer down here during the winter in the northern hemisphere, just to avoid seasonal depression and enjoy the beach a little bit more. I know it's been a while since I last released a podcast episode, and I wanted to recap that I've been blogging quite frequently over the past couple of weeks, and I thought I would reshare one of my recent blog posts in podcast form and talk about it a little bit more. Now, there is a certain obsession nowadays with self-improvement, self-development that focuses extensively on your flaws. And I saw Mark Manson refer to this as using a self-doctor sort of approach, believing that there is something that needs to be cured. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about this need to be in control of your life and this need specifically being a source of suffering, a source of anxiety, a source of pain that can't be released. Because as long as the pain is there, the need to improve oneself is there as well. And a lot of people in the self-help industry are capitalizing off of this. So I often ask people why they don't have kids. And this is not a way of trying to guilt them into having children if they're in their late 30s or 40s. I ask them as a personal kind of sanity check to make sure that I have adequate responses the next time my mom asks me about it. And one of the most common responses that I hear from friends is that they wouldn't bring a child into a world like this. Well, what type of world are we really referring to here? We're not living in some sort of dystopian Blade Runner type of future. Perhaps it's because we're afraid of how our priorities would change if we did have children. Now, something that you can't easily conceptualize, like having children, isn't a cogent topic that people can understand without having experienced it in the first place. If you want to have kids, your life often follows a predictable trajectory before you can have children. For example, you go to school. You get a job, you get a promotion, you make a six-figure salary, be in a stable relationship with someone that you love, and then you can perhaps consider the possibility of having a child. When speaking of a society like the United States, the possibility of having a kid for most millennials seems like a distant goal on the horizon. We prioritize finding the ideal partner and finding an existentially fulfilling career before we can even consider bringing another human into this world. Just like falling in love, having children can result from an unplanned event outside of our planned life trajectory. Something like serendipity. Things like this that are outside of our control can sometimes bring us happiness in unexpected ways. Let's take my friend Alex as an example. Of course, I've changed his name to protect his identity. Alex lived his life from one day to the next with no plans for the future, working the odd job to make ends meet. After meeting a nice girl on Tinder, he inadvertently got her pregnant seven months later, and going the abortion route would have probably most likely returned his life to its mundane normalcy, but his partner insisted on keeping the baby. Over the course of a few months, Alex's priorities had shifted, and so did his life. Now in Alex's case, external factors ended up reshaping his life for the better, as he now has something meaningful to live for. He decided to take up a stable job to financially support his new family. He started seeing a future for himself that was all too absent for his entire life. He is now trying to be the best father he can be. His plan was never to have the child in the first place because his brain could only understand having a child as equating to the end of his current identity. Something that was essentially like venturing into the unknown. Something that he could only perceive as danger. The end of his known identity. 
People go on living their entire lives making the worst decisions for themselves out of fear. Fear is subjective, yet its outcome in such scenarios is pretty much the same. That is to say that the fear of uncertainty is what makes us grow accustomed to our own suffering. You could be in a terrible job or relationship, but you accept it, like someone being stuck in the crossfire of an unwanted destiny. Now, Henry David Thoreau might have said it best by stating that most men lead lives of quiet desperation. The reason that something like a midlife crisis has become a cultural meme is that realizing the finitude of our own existence makes it painfully clear that we've been acquiescing to suffering our entire lives. The midlife crisis is often marked by a change in behavior and newly adopted attitudes of risk-taking. This narrative is so common that we often see it played out in culture. In action movies, there is often this final scene where the main character knows that he's about to die. So he calls his family to tell them he loves them. People who have a near-death experience know the feeling of having their attitude towards life suddenly and drastically change for the better and after their close encounter with death. Such experiences shed light on what's truly important, our most visceral motivations. We want a million things all the time, but a sick man only wants one thing, to be healthy again. Since most of us are either unaware of what drives our motivation or what we want out of life, we choose familiar forms of suffering that give us the kind of predictability that we crave. Most people are unwilling to consciously make the choice of having children in order to give much-needed structure and meaning to their lives, which is understandable. People are often very bad at deciding what's best for themselves, whether this is the best type of person to date, the habits to engage in, or the ideal type of career we pursue. We choose things that mitigate sources of unknown suffering, like having a child would be the end of my life, to choose suffering that we are more familiar with. I hate my job, but at least it's a hate I'm familiar with. The greatest source of our own suffering is unknowingly self-inflicted, and yet the attempt to remedy our pain by being in full control of our own destiny causes even greater anguish. At the same time, we have another greater kind of anxiety, namely unrealized potential, always wondering what might have been. So I'm going to talk about a couple of types of existential worry. Here, delve into two types of existential worry. Soren Kierkegaard classified these two types of suffering as either being lost in the finite or in the infinite. Someone who is lost in the finite is one who chooses familiar suffering like the nine to five job that they hate. It's possible that they would excel as a school teacher or an artist, yet this is something that remains unrealized to their conscious choice to go on suffering in the only way that they are familiar with. On the other hand, someone who gets lost infinite is the person who is literally unable to make a choice because of all the options presented to them. This is the person who never reaches their potential because they don't want to commit themselves to any one path out of the fear that they are making the wrong choice and missing out on a better option. Now, in both scenarios, the existential crisis that ensues is a result of our own choice. Most of the time, this poor choice is attributed to a lack of information about the options that are available to us. What can we do to become better decision makers? Speaking to a number of people who went through quarter-life crises during the pandemic, I realized the contradictory nature of finding happiness through attempting to control every aspect of your life. Anxiety inevitably ensues when we try to control every variable in our lives, yet are faced with an abundance of choice, which we also refer to as getting lost in the infinite. This renders us unable to make a choice due to the fear of squandering it. We believe that we're fully in control of our own destiny, that we can make our dreams come true if only we work hard enough. While this is mostly true, I'd argue that the need to be in control, or rather the lack of acceptance that most things are outside of our control, is a source of suffering in itself. 
a lot of people during the pandemic are starting to realize that they made some pretty poor choices in their lives. I'm not exactly sure why we're experiencing this now, but many of us are collectively experiencing a shift of priorities in our lives away from external factor similar to what Alex experienced. Although remote work and technology are somewhat liberating, it becomes painfully obvious that it cannot supplant the need for intimacy. Technology cannot cure our social ills, and neither can any enticing self-help book. This brings me to the main point of this podcast episode. The priorities of our lives, the things that dictate the decisions that we make, are often influenced by that which we find meaningful. In other words, the best way to spend our lives. However, what we find meaningful is often due to factors that lie outside of our own control. Meaning, something that has become a more prized commodity than gold in today's economy, is not something that we can create intentionally. It comes up in the places where we least expect it. You simply cannot control everything in your life, including what you find meaningful. You cannot explain why you are interested in certain things and not in others. Why someone prefers blue over red may be due to some childhood experience with a blue car, or might come down merely to genetics. It's difficult to say yet we are the puppets living out destinies that have already been created for us. To do this is to follow that which gives you a reverberating feeling of purpose. Viktor Frankl made an important discovery using logotherapy in his book Man's Search for Meaning, namely that every human being needs a purpose to live for. As Nietzsche said, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. While this is unquestionably true, the ideal seems increasingly untenable in today's digital age. Let me give you two reasons why. Firstly, the why is obfuscated by attention hijack. It's no secret that the most valuable resource in the digital economy is attention, not money. The pandemic has accelerated this to the point that many of us have realized that there is a mental health crisis going on due to the lives that we live online being completely detached from our real physical lives. Trying to figure out what you want in this world is increasingly difficult when others are constantly obsessed with influencing your opinion for their own monetary gain. Everybody is trying to tell you who they want you to be, namely a consumer. Even I'm trying to get you to consume this podcast episode right now. Reason number two, the why is often confused with the whys of others. We see the story of the successful YouTuber who quit their job as a janitor to make documentaries about World War II. I'm not saying this isn't possible, but recent studies have shown that making a living in the creator economy is much more difficult than we might think. We often think that becoming successful by following the paths of others is our ticket to freedom. We are wrong, because imitating success in our own lives cannot work. Do we want freedom of choice? People like having the freedom of choice take from them because it releases them from the anxiety of the debilitating decisions that we are forced to make, like what career path to embark on, or who we should marry. These are all big decisions that we cannot simply make in one moment. There are infinite possibilities of where we could go after that. I touched upon free will briefly in a blog post that I wrote a few months ago. Because it is important to note that while free will does not exist, decisions still matter. Decisions create cascading effects that impact our lives down the line. What you're doing right now in this moment is all a product of deterministic factors that led your life to where it is right now. There is a paradox here though. We often want certainty in our lives and try to force these outcomes into existence. However, the very act of forcing something into existence has a debilitating effect on the mind. My mentor once told me the story of a frog he encountered on a trip in Spain. Upon seeing a frog close to the river, his friend attempted to catch it, only to have the frog jump through his fingers with each passing attempt. After the fifth or sixth time, my mentor suggested placing his hand next to the frog and waiting. Rather than running from the danger, the frog eventually climbed onto the hand 
that it was previously trying to escape from. Our aversion to anxiety often pushes us to the point of forcefully obtaining desirable outcomes in our lives. Whether we're trying to catch a frog or find our ideal match, we often fail to see that the greatest obstacle is ourself, as cliche as that sounds. Forcing yourself to wake up at 4am because you watched a video of a former Navy SEAL telling you discipline equals freedom is not a guaranteed way to change your life for the better. Neither is just meditating by itself. Both of these habits help, but they aren't a guaranteed method to solve the deepest worries of our lives. These habits build off of the idea that there is an inner bitch that needs to be eliminated for the birth of a stronger and better you. How do you tell someone that what they have is already good enough and that there is no need for the better idealized version? Chasing the ideal is not a futile effort, yet feeling the need to constantly improve is like forcefully trying to catch the frog. We also use technology in this way to capture the frog by force when we project the best image of ourselves into the outside world in an attempt to improve our careers and social lives. There is a general level of anxiety that pervades our society to its core, and this anxiety has fueled innovation and progress in many different industries, yet we are reaching a point in our era where this is no longer necessary. That is, to live a life controlled by anxious ambitions. The change you crave was there all along, and it lies in acceptance of things beyond our control. Rather than forcefully attaining things we want, the quality of our lives is dictated by how we direct our attention to what we find most meaningful. A meaningful life is therefore nothing more than choosing to accept the responsibilities that reduce individual suffering. So while I was reading that, I had a small note that I wanted to add, which is to say that accepting ourselves as good enough itself is a virtuous act. However, to recognize what needs to be improved and to recognize your trajectory is equally important. Knowing that you are and you aren't good enough at the same time. That is to say that rather than using anxiety to change yourself, you adopt an attitude of self-love. So I'm interested to see how this gets addressed in the future. It's probably being addressed with the advent of online therapy right now. And I, I hope that we make a lot of progress in this area. Accepting that what we desire in our lives is oftentimes beyond our own control is the first step towards making the meaningful change that you desire. I'm sorry to perhaps leave this on a somewhat confusing paradoxical note, but I'm looking forward to exploring the subject again in later podcast episodes. And with that, I will allow everyone to give up control over their lives while adjusting, adapting, and making the best with the conditions that are available to them. Now, I will end this podcast with a quote from Arthur Schopenhauer, and first say it in German and then in English. So, der Mensch kann tun, was er will, er kann aber nicht wollen, was er will, which translates to, man can do what he wills, but he cannot will what he wills. And with that, I will allow you to enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.